Welcome, Cap fam and friends of Crusader Athletics. I'm Sports Information Director Ryan Gasser. Director of Athletics and Recreation Dixie Jeffers is making good on her promise to join us for updates in Cap Athletics. So we'll get her response on the mascot decision and the prospect of returning fall sports. We'll then get our legs loose with head cross-country coach Hannah Weiss as we take our second lap around our coach and program spotlight, but this time focus on the Cap cross-country team. Our alumni spotlight features from Capital Baseball in the class of 2017, Tyler Gibbons, who is now a scout with the Cincinnati Reds. We'll check in on his new gig, his influences, and the path to the big leagues. Batter up! Time for episode 12 of Forward Capital Crusaders. Hey, Cap fam, welcome to another edition of Forward Capital Crusaders. In our first segment in today's episode, we're going to cash in on a commitment from Director of Athletics and Recreation, Dixie Jeffers. In our last episode, if you remember, she said that she would come in regularly and tackle some of the issues and update us on what's going on athletics. And so here we are, Coach. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we're going to come at you really hard and heavy on this first episode and with this first question got to tackle the big elephant in the room and that is that the university board of trustees on monday july the 13th announced to change the school moniker they're going to move away from the crusaders and the mascot of cappy now truly this is a, a big shift and it's a change that isn't exactly uncommon in today's world as we navigate these times but what is the message that you want to deliver to the cap fam regarding this change uh today's a tough day um you know, for me personally and, and for a, a lot of people that are involved in this. And I feel for all sides, um, whether you are for it or whether you're against it. Um, we've got a lot going on right now, especially with COVID. We're na navigating social injustice and other insensitive issues arising in our country and around the world. So it's a very um, tumultuous time to speak. Uh, the Crusader name's been our identity since 1963 and after we moved away from the Luther fighting Lutherans. Many people have taken a lot of pride in the Crusader name, uh, not so much for what it historically means, but for what it represents in a competitive environment to champion athletics. But the university's made a commitment to listening, and we are in time of change, and it's part of our new everyday life. Um, it stings, to say the least. But this is the direction that we're going to be asked to move. We will comply as an athletic department and we'll be involved in the, the process. We're hoping that our alums will be involved with us as we move forward to create our new identity and to, to be challenged of what we can come up to create more uniqueness. So the long-term vision is a little unclear. We will be getting more information as far as how you can be involved in that process and to give your thoughts and to have those discussions. But in the short term, we do have to look and see what is, what is next. So what can you say to what is in store for Capital Athletics in the short term regarding this decision? Um, not too much is going to change immediately. Uh, we've been told that we are the Crusaders until we are the Crusaders no more. So for now, we're still the Crusaders. You will see less of or none at all of Cappy, our mascot. There will be um, integration of uh, an Athletics Block C logo, which is to be used going back to as early as the 1900s and through the 70s, and actually was used a lot when I first arrived at Capitol 30-some years ago. 
you're still going to see our logo and crusaders on the fields and things that we wear as we move forward in the time being. Um, it's just going to take some time to have some, some discussions as we look at rebranding and finding our new identity. It's going to take time because we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. We just need to be patient and keep looking forward. Again, when I started this term as athletic director, I said that we'd be needing patience and support. And I'm still saying that we need patience and support from our athletes, staff, alums, and everybody. And we're in a fluid situation with COVID and everybody needs to try to find something positive out of everything that we are faced with on a daily basis. Let's move from one pretty heavy topic to another. This one may be a little bit more positive because not too long ago, uh, the OAC made its statement in supporting schools to return in the fall. And that also includes a three-phase re-socialization process to help us get us to that point. What can you tell us first about the decision? What went into that that supports a return for fall athletics? We um, are told to follow the NCAA guidelines by the NCAA has suggested it and recommended it. The CDC of Franklin County has says we're going to do it. And Bexley in itself has asked us to do, do it and the university has asked us to comply. So we're working with a lot of different entities and so forth, but I want to give a shout out to our, our medical staff of Matt Smith and Daniel Saisley and especially and their entire staff because they have worked tirelessly to help develop this and communicate the message to our student athletes through Zoom and so forth of what that looks like. In a nutshell, phase one is a 14-day phase where basically we'll return our student athletes to campus and they're going to be able to work in small pods of 10 to 11 people. And then we're going to bring their food into them and so forth. And basically we're gonna put them in a little bit of a bubble for a while and acclimate them back to one another. We're gonna monitor them um, very closely with temperature checks and so forth and continue to watch this. And then we, that will actually start for us um, our first team coming back will be football August 10th is what's planned right now. And we'll ask them to quarantine prior to coming here. And then we'll start the quarantine, continue the quarantine once they hit here. And then we will move back to, to school. And on August 26th, we'll start our second phase, which is another 14 days, which we now elevate more people into the groups and things start to move towards a little bit more of interaction and so forth with continued testing and so forth. And it's a very, very detailed process. Um, I feel good about our plan. I feel very good that we have taken the necessary steps to provide the safety for our student athletes and for our students at the campus. Coach, I think what all fans really want to know is when are we going to get to see the Crusaders play? We know that we've dumbed down the schedule and we've been really reluctant to release it just because of the fluidity of the situation. But what can you tell us about what to expect as far as a schedule and maybe when we can start play? Well, it has publicly been announced that we will play a conference only and that will start September 19th across the board for all sports. And um, that is our launch date, and hopefully we're going to be working towards that and so forth that uh, we can accomplish this. And, and if not, we got a plan B. Um, we're going to play sports this year at some point, and I want everybody to know that. But the biggest, biggest um, project for us right now is to make sure that we have the safety first and foremost because we're not going to beat COVID. 
we have to learn to, to live with COVID. So we're trying to figure out how to do that safely. And we're gonna to continue to do that with the support of the, the administration and, and the, the great trainers that we have in the athletic department. Um, I feel really good about this moving forward. You said that we have to live with it and we have to do everything that we possibly can to keep ourselves safe. I know that we're about to send some messaging out there to tell people what to do, but this doesn't just go to our student athletes. It goes to everybody. What would you say are some of the very simple things that everybody can do in order to ensure that we have sports in the fall and beyond? Well, we have Zoomed our entire fall sports already. Uh, myself, the medical staff, um, you as well as the sports information director and so forth. And I didn't beat around the bush. We have, we've got to stay out of the bars. We've got to stay away from mass gatherings. We've got to stay away from house parties for a while. These kids have got to get creative. They're still college kids. So I asked them to be creative and stay in small groups, um, stay around people that they're normally um, going to be put into pods with, that they normally run with and they live with. I think if we continue to do that, we can actually pull this off. But if we're going to go out and, and come return here and think that we can go out into the OSU community and to the Bexley community and do as we've done in the past, we will fail. So we really have to be mindful of others because this, is a, this isn't just about an individual. This is about protecting us all. That's why we're coming with a hashtag this week of Cap Together. And we really are going to have to help one another to be able to pull this off. And we'll have more information about CAP Together and the project that is associated with educating everybody as far as what we all can do, student athletes, families, staff, all of us, in order to have these fall sports and beyond. Coach, last question for you today. Uh, not so much about capital, but just about you. And, and you're, you're a big sports fan, and TBT, the <laughs> basketball tournament, has been on TV. You know, what has it been like to see some sort of, um, you know, live sporting event? And, and how bad are you itching to see more? Well, let me tell you something. Sideline cancer yesterday and overseas elite, I jumped off the couch screaming and yelling because it was fantastic. It, uh, it made it feel normal again. And I think it's so funny to watch them run across the floor on top of each other yelling, six feet, six feet, six feet. And there wasn't anything like that being, being done. But I feel good about what they did because TBT has done an incredible job of, of putting their, their athletes into the bubble and protecting everyone and allowing us to finally see something live again. And it was just a great game. And I'm excited about that. And that's going to be us hopefully sooner than later. But I, I said, I'm going to reiterate, it's going to be us at some point this year. And uh, we're figuring out what to do. And if we don't go off, I'm prepared to have contests of, of challenges and competition for us to get our kids back. I think the one thing that people are missing is this is for the mental health of our student athletes, too. They need to be with their teammates. They need to see their coaches. Their coaches need to see them. And I'm, I just think... You know, that's the reality of this. Um, the reality is we need to be together again, and that's where the cap together comes in as well. 
I'm glad that you said that, Coach. It is so much more than just about sports. It's not just about competition. It's about all of our health holistically and, uh, and also not just for the student-athlete, for, for the entire community. So glad that you said that. Coach Jeffers, thank you so much for giving us that update, and hopefully we'll be having another update sometime soon in the near future with uh, more of what is to come and schedules that will be posted online at athletics.capital.edu. And I appreciate that, Ryan. And, and the thing is, I lead through transparency, and I think in a pandemic more than any other time that we have to really be transparent with the direction that we're headed and what our thoughts are and what our, what we're trying to accomplish here. So I appreciate it. Thank you, Coach Deffers. This has been Director of Athletics and Recreation and Women's Basketball Coach, Coach Dixie Jeffers. Stay tuned and we'll get you into our first segment here on Forward Capital Crusaders. Cap fam, we are beginning our second round of coach and program check-ins on Forward Capital Crusaders. Fittingly, we chose Hannah Weiss, head coach of Cap Cross Country and Track and Field, to lap the field as we begin our second go-around. So first, welcome back to the program, Coach. How's life been since we last chatted in, I believe, late March, which seems like an eternity ago? It really does. I, um, You know, the, the weather's in a 180. It's, you know life's been keeping on keeping on and just been trying to be as prepared as we can for a season that you can't really prepare for and you know control what you can control and go from there you're right it is amazing how from late march to where we sit now here in mid-july ohio weather it changes on time <laughs> and has changed drastically since we talked last and and we'll we'll get to that here in a few minutes but, you know, if anybody's been following Coach Weiss on social media, you'd know that she has been incredibly active over the last couple of months. And one of the ways that you've been active, Coach, is by engaging in this recent what I'll call a phenomena. And those are virtual <laughs> marathons that are also in, available in 5, 10 and 20K form. Tell us about how these things work and why you decided to pick up on this. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I'm a big believer of, you know, running or any other type of exercise or athleticness is, is more fun when you have a goal. Obviously we want to be process oriented in the idea of, you know, you just want to better yourself and everything like that. But the idea that something is still kind of in the back of your head, you're, you're putting something down on yourself. So whether it be financially putting some money on it or knowing that you still signed up for something and you, kind of going to make it happen. So it's been fun though. Um, I've done technically speaking three virtual races for myself and I've been a part of two other people's virtual races. So I got to run with a friend of mine, um, for her half marathon. I actually hit, um, a PR in my half marathon en route to it. So that was kind of exciting. Didn't really mean for it to happen. Um, or at least since, since running again PR and then uh, another friend of mine her she was supposed to do the grandma's marathon and that obviously didn't get to happen and so it went virtual and so I did the last nine miles of her marathon with her and it's just really fun because it's like while you don't have the crowds that you would have at a normal race like you still have all the accountability you can make it a little bit more intimate with like some of your friends or completely by yourself it really just depends and yeah, it's honestly kind of on paper. I thought it was a little silly. And then, you know, the, the idea of it kind of grows on you after a while. And when you realize there's not going to be a lot of other options, it's like, well, 
I can still be a part of a community. I have a community that supports me. Um, there's a, a Facebook group out there called Running's Not Cancelled, and you can basically everyone's posting like what they're doing, whether it be a virtual race or a run or just something that they're proud of, and it's just a very uplifting experience to have. So if you haven't tried it, definitely do it. Find something that means something to you, and it's it's a pretty little venture because again, you don't have to drive anywhere you don't have to show up in some random place to go do this race you can do it in your you know on a treadmill you can do it in your you know around your neighborhood you don't have to worry about any porter potties or anything like that so there's there's a lot of upside to it so you can do this both indoor outdoor like what is your preferred method i mean do you prefer treadmill do you prefer getting out there I know I I'm torn now. So I, I bought a treadmill at the beginning of this. I've been using it quite a bit. Um, I've been venturing outside more and more and I I'm torn. I think the it really depends on the person. I think most people would say outside um, with the way that how hot it's been past you a uh, few weeks here. I've, I've been kind of babying myself to the treadmill a little bit more, but um, I think they both have their pluses and minuses. I think it just really depends. I think the, I think the outside is the more authentic way to do it, but the treadmill is also the probably the most accurate way in many ways to be able to do it. You know, you're never going to get stopped by a red light or anything like that and kind of force yourself to maybe go a little bit faster than maybe you would want to, or in some cases, force yourself to stay a little bit more composed and go from there. Now, this feels like a, a really awesome way to build a community, one that already exists, like you said, in the Facebook group, but also with, you know, current former athletes, alumni. Do you know if this is going on within the capital circle or it's being used in that way? Um, at this point, not very much. I know a couple other colleges have done it so far, and I know that there's some conversation about it. I really hope it moves forward. Um I think that it's such a a neat thing to be able to, again, like kind of come together and and be able to do it, especially, you know, in the past, we've had uh, alumni events within at least the the cross country track and field team um, where we have like an alumni cross country meet. We have an alumni uh, track and field uh, meet and those obviously are not likely to happen this coming year. So the idea of doing one, I, I really, really like it. It's just a matter of just working it out logistically and everything like that. Um, I know Wilmington College just did one and it was a pretty fun venture for them. So I would love to do it better than them as well. <laughs> I'm all in on this because this just sounds like esports redefined. Like this is actually <laughs> like sports with an electronic tone to it. This sounds cool. Yeah, exactly. You can... Uh, and it's fun just to like reconnect again with those uh, with those alumni, and we can still have age group awards. You can still do all that, and and there's you can make it goofy, you can make it fun, you can make it competitive. It just really depends on you know where you're at and in life, where you're at and your training, and and just a little bit of your personality. Fantastic. We're talking with head coach of Capital Cross Country and Track and Field, Hannah Weiss. Let's move on to what is actually happening within your program coach the last time that we spoke we talked a lot about josh miller who was at nationals when the spring shutdown occurred 
since then, the USTF CCCA made an announcement that those that qualified for nationals would earn All-American status, which is awesome for Josh and your program. What mm-hmm. was the reaction when the announcement came down? Um, pretty excited. Uh, you know, I it's 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 definitely it's an honor. I'm very happy for Josh. Um, I'm glad that he got recognition for the hard work that he got. And it's so funny because I know that it also pissed him off a little bit too, because that's not how he wanted to be an all American. I got that um, vibe too. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, I don't want to speak for him by any means, but I know that I think that probably a little, little bit of a, more of a fire underneath him, not that he needed that, but, um, just to be able to, again, have the, not to say that it's not a real thing, it's a real thing, but to, you know, have the award to be able to say that I did it on this day, I think is going to mean that much more to him. And if you want proof of just um, what Josh's reaction was, you can go back and listen to episode nine of Four <laughs> Capital Crusaders that aired on June 3rd. We actually interviewed him and talked a little bit about this. You'll get that same vibe that I got, trust me when I tell you that. <laughs> But you, you, you did mention that he would be coming back with a chip on his shoulder, and you were right. Um, can you talk about what having just an athlete like that on your roster does for the rest of the team? Oh, it's great. And so, like, because it's, it's uh, something that you don't appreciate when you're an athlete, how much power you really have to influence your teammates and until you, you, you kind of move on a little bit. And I think someone that really has appreciated that is Josh. And like as a coach you you know you have to you have to say things but you have to say them in a very polite sometimes a roundabout way you know to get the point across as an athlete you can be really upfront with your teammates um it just really depends on the you know the personality and like calling people out it just means something different coming from a teammate and so it's great to have josh there he is not afraid to tell somebody like well you're not doing what you should be doing type of thing um as well as lifting his teammates up in a good way as well too but uh, it's good because that that's a little bit more intimidating, in my opinion, than to hear it from a coach. You expect to hear it from a coach. You don't necessarily expect it to hear hear it from a, a teammate or someone alongside you. Um, so I I love it. Um, we we joke with him a little bit and call him Coach Josh in in some uh, in some respects because he is he cares so much and he doesn't just care about his performance. Um, obviously, that means a lot to him that he truly, truly cares about seeing everyone else around him be successful and seeing everyone that represents capital track and field be lifted to his standard. So if, I don't know if I could handle a whole team of Josh's because that would that'd be a lot of personality, but I would love to have a few more of them too. I'm going to second that. It, more <laughs> than I'd love to have a few more of them, I, but Josh's personality is definitely strong, and you always wish that you had a couple of those on a team. And speaking of the team, uh, we'll just focus on cross-country right now because that is the season that is fast approaching. Uh, yeah. Have you been in contact with a lot of the athletes this summer as they train on their own, and, and what is the vibe that you're getting from your returners as far as how that training may be going? Absolutely. So yeah, we've been, uh, um, we've been having Zoom meetings with the team. Um, and we've actually been doing uh, Zoom goal meetings right now. And we've been doing goals a little bit differently than what we've done in the past. Um, traditionally, you know, you have, oh, we want to place this, this certain spot at conference, we want to have this certain GPA. Well, those are, in our opinion, is kind of not they're, they're not as meaningful as they, they should be um, or could be, I guess, in the 
the best way. And I think not because the goals are bad in themselves, but it's not focusing on how can we achieve them. And so we did it a little bit differently. We focused on the different characteristics of, of each kid, where they thought their strengths and their weaknesses are, and then how to, um, based off of qualities we feel is important to be a good student athlete, um, how can we lift up those weaknesses in, in each other? How can they hold each other accountable? Um, and so both of the, or their goals end up being not just, you know, the, the time nuts and bolts oriented type of goals, but also how can, you know, how can they uplift each other every day? How can they make sure that it's something they actually look back at the end of the season, like we were able to do this or we weren't able to do this, or this is what kept us from doing this, that type of thing. Um, so that was a really interesting way. And I think it, it opened up a lot of their eyes as far as like, how the, can they start applying this even now in the summer? Um, especially because our, our season got pushed back. We're not going to have that many opportunities to compete based off of, you know, OAC guidelines and whatnot and possible, you know, additional uh, restrictions, you know, just on how the year goes, you have to be able to be really adaptable to season um, and really focusing on, how can we be process oriented? Because if we're just solely concerned on how we're going to do at a certain meet or something like that, and not necessarily have control of when or where or how those meets are going to happen, because we don't fundamentally know right now, um, feel like we're, we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot. So focusing on, again, doing all the little things correctly, both from a physical standpoint as well from a mental, emotional standpoint as well. Um, and they've seemed to really take to that quite a bit. Um, they've been doing great with, we, we sat down at the end of our, you know, quote unquote track season and talked about with each kid, where do you really see yourself as far as your development is concerned from a mileage goal standpoint, both in the summer, um, as well from past experience staying healthy. And they've, they've really kind of kept to where they wanted to go. And so every kid has different goals and different uh, limitations and abilities. So they all vary per kid. And, but we have a number of kids that are hitting mileage goals higher than they've ever hit before, staying healthy, being excited about it. Um, it's really fun to get texts from kids saying that they just ran the longest long run they ever ran. Um, they feel great. And so that's been a, a really fun place to be, especially with everything kind of looming overhead. Now you mentioned earlier too, that, you know, we've been talking about these weather swings that we have in Ohio, yeah. which happened far too often for me, but yep. you know, the weather here hasn't exactly helped much because here in central Ohio, it's been so incredibly hot. Uh, I'm sure that doesn't help with outdoor training. So how does heat impact a distance runner's training? Oh, it can, it can really make or break you. Like it, you're, you can, if it's cold, you can always put more clothes on for the most part. When it's hot, you can't go the opposite way to some extent. Um, or at least you definitely shouldn't. And um, we really talked a lot about hydration and trying to keep up on that. And I mean, if you, if you lose, I think is as little as two to three percent of your your total fluids in your body. Like you're looking at like multiple V dot decreases in your ability to perform. So that, to break that down, that can be as much as like 14 seconds for a mile race, um, depending on that dehydration level. Now, given they're not going out and giving all out efforts like that, um, 
but understanding that if the humidity is high, the heat is higher, being smart, planning their day around when they're able to run, if they know they're going to work a certain day to get up early um, at like, you know, get your run done by before 8 a.m. It's going to be a lot more pleasant than if you wait till 9 or 10 a.m. And then talking about different hydration options. So utilizing obviously water, but also things like Gatorade, noon, other, other opportunities that you'd have to just, and really enhance your hydration experience and also be careful of the things that tend to dehydrate you, like over caffeinating yourself and whatnot. Sounds like good advice, even for the amateur runners out there as well. (laughs) So people take note. We're talking with head coach Hannah Weiss of Capital Track and Field and Cross Country and So for cross country, and let's put the weather aside, let's pretend like it's a beautiful 70-something degree day, you got a slight breeze, what does your typical training program look like? Um, So it's right now we're really focusing on a base mileage uh, phase for pretty much all of our kids. They are going to start doing some workouts here soon. Um, We take, uh, I would say, a pretty standard approach to the the grand scheme of, of training, so Uh, We base everything that we do on long-term development. So we want to see our kids be as successful as they can be by their senior year. Uh, We try to be a little bit more conservative with their incoming freshmen um, or first years rather. Um, And we focus like usually about the, depending on the person, roughly the first eight to 12 weeks on developing a base this season. We've extended that out a little bit longer because we have more time to do it. And then starting to bring in more upper level aerobic based workouts, starting to dip into some anaerobic by the time that we really get into season and then sharpening throughout the the rest of the season from there on out. Um, But we really try to get their mileage up and so that we can actually decrease it a little bit once they start school and are able to handle a little bit more intense type of workouts from there. Now, it, it sounds sometimes as simple as run and run a lot, but I don't think it actually is. Are there other exercises or activities that your, your cross-country runners can do to cross-train and do something other than just run? Absolutely. And we do have, um, especially for some of our more injury-prone student-athletes and especially some of our younger student-athletes, we do encourage a lot of cross-training. So anything that you can make aerobic. So our standard is usually biking and elliptical, um, but swimming is a great one, uh, especially if they have a swimming background um, and, or if they have a rower or anything along those lines, as long as they can stimulate their aerobic system the same way they would with running, that's really our goal for them. Um, But it is a nice break on the legs and the pounding. Um, And then, Oh, and then also with that being said, too, again, a lot of those kids are going to have different mileage goals as well. So we'll factor in their their cross training along with um, their overall mileage and aerobic development goal. But we also give all of our kids we we have a hip circuit. Um, One of the weakest areas in most distance runners is their glute hip area. So making sure we strengthen that at least three times a week. Um, we have a core circuit as well as a lifting schedule. Um, we're, we're not out here trying to make cross-country runners into bodybuilders by any means. 
but making sure we still have, you know, especially strong, uh, connective, uh, muscle groups. So we're not necessarily focused on the larger, you know, more standard muscle groups, but especially anything that involves posture, um, be able to help engage, you know, your hip flexor, your glutes, um, uh, and also making sure that you have good range of motion is really what our main focus is. So it's very much more injury prevention rather than trying to put them both bolts up or anything like that. It's funny that you mentioned that just because my next question was going to be along those lines. I mean, I, I'm one of these people, but, you know, for people that have joints just that just don't allow them to run long distances or you have to be cognizant of what terrain you run on, what are some of the things that can either help you have that balance when trying to build endurance, but also build uh, body strength for those critical body parts. How do, how do you balance that? And what do you balance it with? So I think there's a few different answers that I think it's going to vary a little bit per person, but I would say first and foremost, moderation. Um, and so making sure that you're, you're like, you plan out your week, you, um, you have a variety of different terrains. Ideally, some people are going to have only concrete depending on where they live, or some people might be really lucky and they only have, um, more trail options, or they're only going to run on a treadmill. Obviously the, the more varied you can have of an experience, the better off it's going to be for your overall health, just because your body will react to those different, um, terrains a little bit differently, especially like in like things like your lower legs or knees, uh, that sort of, um, that sort of thing. I would say the next thing is also make sure you are in the proper footwear. Um, most people just throw on whatever shoes they had have because you can do that for most other sports and that's fine. Um, but it is like really the only piece of equipment that's really required for running. And depending on what your needs are, how old they are, um, and everything like that, that can really make a big impact as far as not only are they supporting you well, but also are they um, absorbing enough impact for you? So are you doing things to not only keep things like your ankles, knees and hips in alignment, but also are they absorbing enough impact from things like if you're running on concrete or blacktop or something like that um, can really, really go a long ways. And then uh, from there, understand that it's a process. Um, if you're a newer runner and or you're starting your running uh, kind of journey later in life, yeah, you're after 30, your body does not bounce back the way you want it to, no matter what body, shape you're in. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but it can still be trained to do what, for the most part, within reason, whatever you want it to do. And so just understanding that, like, being okay with, all right, I, I maybe only had like five minutes for my run today, but I still had my five minutes or if you have to like take a walk break, that's really okay. Because if you're, if you run a little too fast for like that first minute and you're like, Ooh, that's too far or that that was a little too much for me. And I, you walk 30 seconds or even a minute and then you go run the other four, your body is still, your heart rate's still high enough. You're probably still breathing hard. Like it doesn't know any difference that you're not running. You're just, your body just thinks you're running slower. And so you still have that elongated effect as far as training yourself cardiovascularly. Now, from uh, a morale standpoint, that's usually not the most fun thing to do either, but um, it's still something that you can do. So like a lot of those like 
apps that help with walk to run. Um, if you're, if you're newer, you're on the beginner side, those are actually really good. They're usually pretty motivating, but just err on the side of getting out there at least every other day. And before you know it, it gets a lot easier, assuming that everything else is kind of in line. Many of these make sense, and many notes I have taken. <laughs> We're talking with head coach Hannah Weiss of the Capital Cross Country and Track and Field team as she drops some knowledge on distance running, not just for the common runner out there, but also for her team, which is hopefully going to be taking the track this fall. And so let's get back to that. Um, coach, are we any closer to you giving us an idea of what the incoming freshman first-year class is looking like? Give us some deeds. So, um, so we have a smaller incoming class for our, our pure distance runners, but I'm very, very excited for them. Um, on the guys' side, we have uh, Sam and Donovan. On the ladies' side, we have Grace and Anya. Um, I, I expect all of them to be coming in and be contributing factors right away. Um, uh, Anya, specifically on the ladies' side, she's looking like she will probably be somewhere in our top three. Um, her and our top returner from last year, Ava, they are actually very good friends. Um, they actually live very close to each other. And, um, I know that they're really excited to kind of get back after it, and they're pretty comparable athletically. So I'm really excited to have them to be having her join us and really fit into that training group really well. Um, I think Grace will be a little bit closer towards the back. She's a little bit newer towards running, but she will definitely be an impact. She, both of these young ladies are very competitive, which I'm really excited about. Um, when we went through our goals meetings, they weren't shy. They felt like they were already a contributing part of the group right away, which was a super exciting thing to, to see just from the get-go. And then on the guy side, we have a really young team overall. In particular, or in particular, and um, both Sam and Donovan, I think, can come in and be contributing factors. But a lot of our guys are there. It's going to be pretty close to see who's in our top five, top seven, because they're all been training really hard. They were all pretty close last year. Like our spread was pretty, pretty respectful. I think we were just a little over a minute from our first, first to fifth, or maybe even first to sixth or seventh. Um, which is a pretty tight spread overall, especially for how many uh, good performances we had from last year. Um, but yeah, no, it's been super fun uh, seeing the work that everyone's been putting in, seeing where those guys are coming in. Uh, they were just as fast, if not faster than the majority of our now rising sophomore class where they were in high school. So Again, I'm I'm really excited to see where they're going to go. They fit in really well with the guys' team, which is great and also scary at the same time. Because um, if you don't know anything about distance, distance boys are pretty goofy and very lively bunch. Have some pretty interesting conversations. So I'm I'm glad and scared that they fit in at the same time. Confirm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, so about the returners, you mentioned Ava on the women's side. Um, I'll let you go on to the men's side in a little bit of uh, depth. But who do you think is going to make a significant leap in their upcoming season as far as your returners go? Um, so, yeah, again, Ava, I think is going to be a big, big one for on the women's side for cross country. Someone else that's also been just killing it in the summer so far has been Heather. Um 
she is like captain for us. She's not necessarily our fastest runner, but she has been putting in a ton of work. This is by far the most consistent she's worked throughout her like any summer we've ever worked with her. Um, so I'm really excited to see what she does in particular. Um, and on the guy side, it's it's going to be so so fun, so interesting to see because again, um, we have we've had a couple people get a little banged up, but they're they're coming back pretty pretty strong. So for instance, we had one young man who stepped on a nail um, a few weeks ago, and he's fine now. He's able to start running now. Um, but apart from like little things like that, they've been killing their mileage goals. They've been really excited about it. They've been actually asking for more, which is always a, an exciting place to be as a coach when you get to be the one to like, well, get through this week and then we can talk about, you know, moving up and stuff like that. But it's, I, I wish I could give names on the guy's side, but I, I could, I had, honestly, I don't know because they're all doing a really good job based off of where they were last year as well. That's just your way of teasing us to make sure that we keep coming <laughs> back for round three and beyond, isn't it? There we go, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, Coach, you know, we are getting closer and closer to getting back on campus. For you, what is your excitement level in both getting back into the office, back on campus a little bit more regularly? You know, I'm excited to see like get to see like not only like obviously my team again like get more in person like you can only you get to see people through a screen and it's not quite the same um but I'm also just excited to kind of have a little bit more of normalcy um I know that really this school year is going to be anything but normal and being fully prepared for that as much as you can but it's just it's great to like again to feel to really feel a part of the community again and um be able to you know see people in person and whether it be you know be able to go walk down to Starbucks with Amy at you know during the Starbucks happy hour time or something like that um, or just have a normal practice with your team so all those things are are really exciting to be able to get back to and just the reason I wish I could say smiling faces, but we're going to be wearing masks. So, but either way, the sentiment is still there. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have to tag along for one of those. So you make sure you get the invite when you get down there to Starbucks. We will. <laughs> Excellent. All right, everybody. This has been the head coach of Capital Cross Country and Track and Field, Hannah Weiss, now entering her fifth year with the program. And we're excited to see where she is going to be leading us as we enter the fall athletic season. Thanks again, Coach, for giving us an update on the program and dropping all kinds of knowledge on running in general. And we can't wait to see you in the office and see what the Crusaders do moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We'll keep it here as we move forward in this episode of Forward Capital Crusaders. All right, Cap fam, I'm going to give you a little bit of a disclaimer here. This one's going to be a little bit longer. It's baseball. I'm a baseball guy. Tyler's a baseball guy on our uh, upcoming segment, so bear with us here. But if you're a baseball fan, uh, you're going to really like this. So 
We'll start it off here just by saying that, you know, sometimes stealing and copying something is the best display of flattery. And in today's alumni spotlight, we ride the coattails of David Jablonski of the Dayton Daily News and a story that he wrote about one of our alums breaking into Major League Baseball, but maybe not the way that you immediately think. Tyler Gibbons played baseball at Capitol and earlier this year was promoted to area scout for the Cincinnati Reds, both fulfilling a lifelong dream, getting to the major leagues, and also entering the family business, so to say. So we bring in from the class of 2017, Tyler Gibbons. First, congratulations on this promotion to what you called a a dream job. There's a lot to unpack here, so let's get right into it. First, tell us what exactly it means to be an area scout with a major league ball club. No, uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, it is a dream come true, especially being a Cincinnati kid when you end up uh, working for your, your hometown team. It's it's obviously pretty special. Uh, for an area, so area scout, uh, essentially I have uh, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Kentucky, and those high school, the amateur side. So I have the high school and college kids, um, and it's pretty much my job to, to see, those, see those kids that, um, you know, their high school, their colleges, whether it be in the summer or the spring, uh, pretty much to be able to find those guys, write reports on them, let uh, our scouting director know, our cross checkers, uh, everything along those lines. And, uh, you know, everybody, if it ends up being a high priority guy, the, the more, the quote unquote, more important people like the cross checkers or national guys or scouting directors will come in and see them. Uh, so essentially my job's to, find those guys, put them on the map for us as the Reds organization, and then we go from there. So you're kind of the guy that makes almost initial contact. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. If, they, might be, they might be more well-known if they're on a, a high-priority team or maybe if they're on Team USA or a big-time high school uh, event. But, yes, it's majority of the time it's, it's my job to be first contact with those guys and let uh, others know. We'll get back to scouting in just a minute, Tyler, and all that comes with big league life. But you were a communications major at Capital, if I'm not mistaken, and you played baseball. So when you came to Cap and began your journey, what was the original plan for your professional career? Or was it always this? Uh, I would say going into school, I wanted to do something with sports. I knew it was going to be sports related. Um, I always loved baseball. Uh, I love golf. Um, I, I played a little basketball. Our, my whole family, we've always been very sports dominant. So I wanted to do something with sports. Um, and communication was always something that I, I guess was just a topic that I enjoyed. Uh, it was something, whether it be from being on a sports team and communicating through that or just everyday life or in classes, anything of like that kind of nature. Uh, communications is always something I enjoyed and uh, not knowing how I was going to get into sports, but if communications, whether it be writing or, you know, talking, whatever it may have been, it communication just was always the route I felt more, most comfortable going and was hopefully going to find a way to spin that into a job in sports. And so you did. But before we get back into that, let's go backwards in time even further. Tell us how you got introduced to the game of baseball and how your love for it progressed with time. Uh, so my dad played uh, my dad played college baseball at uh, the U uh, Miami of Florida. 
and he, he pitched there, played a little pro ball, uh, flipped that into coaching at Ball State and Notre Dame. And then eventually that transitioned into a few years with the Brewers as a scout. And now he's been with the Yankees. I believe this is year 23 with the Yankees. Uh, so my whole life has been baseball because of him. Uh, my, my grandpa played baseball at uh, Notre Dame, worked a lot with sports in Notre Dame. So I've, for as long as I can remember, baseball – uh, it's sports in general, but baseball specifically has always been something that I've, it's just pretty much been my life. Uh, as a little kid, I, I remember, uh, when our house that we're cur- uh, currently living in, uh, was being built, we lived in a little apartment and I just remember as a little kid with the tea, uh, and some Nerf balls, just launching balls all over the apartment, probably breaking a few more things than I remember. Uh, but my parents were just let me as as much as I wanted to play baseball, they just kept letting me play. So uh, for all, as long as I can remember, it's either a, a bat in my hand or some kind of ball. And that's pretty much been my life since then. That seems like a very similar story that I have on this side. So I, I empathize completely. Your dad seems to be a pretty big influence on your life and your love for baseball. And I'll try not to hold it against him for making the Yankees so darn good for so long. So, But at what point did he also become an influence on you and your professional career as you watched him go through his scouting career? Uh, it was actually kind of funny. At first, I, I didn't even want to really scout. I, uh, he was, he, he traveled so much when I was, oh, he still travels a lot, but he was always gone so much when I was a kid that it was always, I guess, tough, uh, because just, just the baseball, as you know, with baseball, when spring and, and summer, there's, there's baseball going on pretty much every day. So at first it was tough. And then as I started to get older and start to realize what exactly goes into it all, it completely made sense to me. Um, but what it, what he has taught me throughout now being on this side of it and just growing up is how important work ethic is. Um, I don't know too many people that work harder than him, uh, just the way he's organized, the way he's prepared. Um, he knows more about some players than I, I've, I probably is pretty funny about how much he knows about some guys and, it's all it all goes into what it means to be a good scout and if anything i mean if if i turn out to be you know half of what he is then i'm going to end up having a pretty good uh, scouting career so uh really it's he's been a role model and somebody to uh you know to to look at and see that this is how it's supposed to be done and that's how i should do it well, it sounds like between the two of you, we all have to have a conversation because I'm a baseball card guy as well. So I'm not into the whole prospecting thing as well. Y'all got to help me out here as I make my future investments. Oh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. There's, there are some guys that you, uh, you know, you think is going to be really good that turn out to be really good. There are some guys that uh, probably you get drafted and don't necessarily turn out the way that you think they would, if whether it be injuries or it just doesn't work out. And then there's some some of those great stories of the guys that get picked uh, way later in the draft that end up being, uh, you know, a veteran that's been playing for six, ten years. And that's the best part about baseball is you don't – it's nothing's a guarantee. 
So well, it, it all it all adds up, and but it, it's it, it's a fun industry because if it does work out the way you're you're thinking it does, it, it makes you feel really good, especially if they're you know with the Reds. If one of those picks work out, that you kind of in the back of your mind, it, you know, obviously that player is doing the work, but you feel a little pride, like you know, I helped to get that guy there. No doubt. We'll talk Jason Dominguez off air here in just a second. <laughs> We're talking with Tyler Givens, class of 2017, and a scout with the Cincinnati Reds Major League Baseball team. Tyler, take us through some of the internships that you held. What did those entail? Uh, what did you do? And how did that build the bridge that led you to the Reds? Uh, so, yeah, and, and when I was at Capitol, I had two internships. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, one, the first year was my junior year going into my senior year at Cap. Um, and that was with the Dodgers. And then the year, I guess, after I graduated that next summer uh, was with the Cubs. And both of those were in the Cape Cod League. Uh, the Cape League, uh, to those you may not know, is one of uh, the most uh, important summer leagues for college kids uh, in the U.S. If it's not Team USA, there I know there's some other leagues, the Northwoods League, Florida League, but the the Cape Cod League has been known to have uh, some of, if not the best college players in every draft. Um, and I, I went up there and my, my job for those two, uh, two summers was to video uh, certain teams that they gave me and to try to video as much of the team as possible. So that way the Cubs and the Dodgers going into the fall or the winter um, could look up player A, B, and C, and if I video them, then when they're talking about them in the draft room, they've got um, they've got video to look at those guys so they can put uh, a swing or some pitching mechanics to a name. Uh, so it, it was it was great for the fact that I got to see some of these players and have an idea of like, okay, I saw all of these players, and this is where they go in the draft. So you kind of keep a mental history of of how things go that next year. And also uh, up there in the Cape, I, every scouting director uh, or a high majority of the scouting directors, assistant scouting directors, scouts, everybody rolls in there to see those players because it's a 10 team league. But the great thing about the Cape is a high majority, I'd say probably six, eight of those teams are all 10 minutes from each other. So it's just a one stop. Everybody's in one little section and it ends up being not only great for baseball, but great for networking. And I think that's what helped lead me into the position that I'm in. Sounds like baseball heaven to me. That's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. The Cape Cape weather with the, with the beaches on top of uh, how nice the temperatures are in baseball. It's a, it's a pretty good uh, situation they've got going up there. Now, what does one have to do to prove to a professional baseball organization that when it does come to the game, you know what the heck you're talking about when you've seen talent? Oh, I'd, see, that's that's a that's a great question because I think the some of the best or one of the best parts about scouting is that everybody sees everything a little differently. If everybody was the if everybody saw stuff the same exact way, the draft every year would be. It'd be you could set it up way ahead of time and you could pick all 40 rounds all in a row. So that's the greatest part about scouting. Everybody can see people differently. You see different games, different performances. So things are very different. But I, I do think for for my sake, having a baseball background was nice. Um, that way you have an idea as a position player 
as a pitcher, you have an idea of, you know, what you're seeing or what's going on. Um, it, it definitely helped for me having, you know, my dad to bounce questions off of. Um, when I was little, I would go to games with him. So some of those scouting new new things, scouting for uh, guys like in my position that may be completely new weren't necessarily that for me just because I was so – I've done that in the past. Um, but it really, it's – especially getting into the scouting it's a lot of learning it's a lot of uh creating like a database in your head of you know this is what this arm looks like in the scale of two to eight which is what the scouting scale is you know this is what a five is this is what average is this is above average this is below average um it's 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 a it's a learning process and that's the the nice thing about baseball, uh, you know, there's always a game the next day. So if you're focusing on one guy one day, then the next day, you know, you go and see a different guy. So it's it's just a lot of learning as you go. And if you're around the right people and you can ask a lot of questions, you soak up a lot of information very quickly. Now, you were a position player when you played at Capitol. I'm sure that you are knowledgeable on the pitching side of things, but when you go in as a scout or you're given an assignment, are you expected to be very well-rounded and know all positions and and everything that there is to know about it? Or do you specialize in a certain group? Uh, No, for, for area, uh, we are expected to, to know all, all of the different positions. Uh, There are, there are people in each organization or some organizations that might specialize in one or the other. Uh, for us, like Nick Cristiani, who played on our big league team, I believe it was in 2013 and 14. I don't quote that. I know he was up there at some point or another. Not exactly sure exactly what the years were. I thought it was 13 and 14, but he uh, was an area scout for us in uh, Texas my first two years. And he recently, as of this two, uh, 2020 year, is our pitching specialist. So his his role now is to specifically just go out and see some of the top pitchers in the country. Um, so there are definitely there's roles that might specify or be uh, you know a specialist in in one or the other. But for area scouts, at least we're expected to know all the different positions, so that way we can let the cross checkers or scouting directors, if they're pretty priority guys, to go and see them and have an idea of, you know, what, what's going on and, and what those guys are going to come in and see when they go to see those guys. We're talking with Tyler Gibbons, class of 2017 and area scout for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Tyler, when you got your own version of the call-up, uh, tell us about how that happened and your initial reaction to receiving the news that you were getting this promotion. So I was uh, actually doing pro coverage. So uh, during the we do amateur uh, uh, spring into the draft. And then once the draft's over, usually they assign us pro coverage, which is going to see um, some double A teams, triple A teams, some kind of minor league baseball uh, to go help and write a few, uh, write reports on some teams just in case for trade deadlines. Uh, and I, I got to call it a game that was pretty much like, hey, um, you've done video the last two years and we would like you to, uh, transition over to the scouting side of it. And I just answered it in the middle of a game and pretty much, yeah, I accepted it, you know, couldn't have been more excited, but I, I, if I remember correctly, I was still in like the third inning. So I had to finish up that game 
and then get back and write reports and just knew uh, in my head, like, okay, this is happened. This happened in, in July pretty much hit me like, okay, now that when August rolls around and college scout days start, now I got to get back and make sure that I'm there for those college scout days and all those different States that I cover. So it was exciting, but it's, it's always a busy time. So you just got to keep rolling with it really. Now you kind of earned your stripes uh, by diving into the MLB draft this year. Um, You were doing a lot of different things with the Reds and it's at a time in which, everywhere you know things are shutting down sports are being you know paused because of the coronavirus how did this new normal and the lack of sports uh, happening especially at the high school and collegiate level impact your ability ability to scout to provide video especially in this first year so i oh man this this last this draft from going from 40 rounds to just five was was crazy there were well, I four or five weeks of the season. So a lot of guys this year, I mean, you only get, you only had so many days to see people. It was, I, I obviously, I hope it never happens again for the sake of uh, the draft and being able to see guys like you want to see them, but it's, it's crazy. I don't think anybody could ever imagine something like this happening. Uh, but I mean, it was, it was crazy. We picked Hendrick uh, with our first pick and, couldn't be more excited with it, but I think Austin only played one game. Um, so you're just going off of what you saw the past summer and if he played in the fall, but I mean, that's, that's why we're getting after it right now when we can, because we don't know when baseball or sports are going to get shut down. And we're just trying to, as of the 2020 summer, we're just trying to get after it and see as many guys as we can. Cause this could end up being very, very important for next spring, which is, uh, why I give Brad Metter, our scouting director, and Joe Katuska and Paul Pearson, our two uh, assistant scouting directors, all the credit in the world for being the leaders that they are and giving us the, uh, the, the pretty much the line to be successful. Uh, it's just you're just doing everything you can to, you know, hopefully, you know, be set up in the future. You, you talk about the first MLB draft that you've had a really deep involvement in and your first round pick uh, 12th overall Austin Hendrick outfielder with power from Imperial Pennsylvania. Um, that was a guy that I believe you, you shared that you had eyes on early on. So how did it feel to have someone that you identified uh, make a list of validation, get checked out and then become a first round pick? Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget the 2020 draft. So the, I I'm on the uh, East coast pro staff. Uh, which is our Reds, our Reds uh, East Coast Pro team, which is usually the top high school players in our our area, um, and we bring those guys down to Hoover, Alabama, and uh, we we play. It's a big showcase, big time event, and Austin was on that team, and you get to be around the kid and how professional he is. It's very it's very special and it's different in a good way just the way he approached everything. And uh, I give him all the credit in the world and he's, he's got nothing but upside going for him. He's an outstanding kid and he works extremely hard, but yeah, I, the 2020 draft being able to help with, with Hendrick was great. That's Jeff Brookins, uh, our, our scout and PA uh, Jeff Brookins. So that was his first round pick, which was great. But then, 
uh, I was lucky enough to roll uh, whatever as they as the draft went on. I ended up getting uh, Mackenzie Wainwright uh, from St. Edwards, and I got Joe Boyle from Notre Dame. So uh, it ended up being that uh, you know being able to help with Hendrick and then being able to get two guys of my own in that draft. It was uh, it'll be a night, or I guess it was a night a night I'll never forget. Well, I know that there are a lot of Reds fans out there, my son included, that are going to be counting on you to get the Reds back into contention here in a couple of years. So uh, we'll be looking out for that. But when you are looking at, you know, your prospects, uh, is there a big advantage or are there extreme cautions when you consider drafting a high school player like Austin Hendrick, um, especially one that's been committed to a college versus drafting a player that is currently in college but is a little bit older? Yeah, there are, I mean, there's definitely more risk with high school kids, but a kid like Austin is so special that as an organization from top to bottom, we felt comfortable picking uh, Austin due to everything that he does really well. He throws well, runs well, um, the ability to hit and the power is crazy for a high school kid. He's got so much upside. That's just, yes, he is a high school kid and it's more risk, but if you would have seen that kid as a college guy, you would have done the same exact thing and be, I mean, extremely excited to have him. The nice thing with high school kids, especially though with the risk, is that they're so much younger. When you've got a college guy that's a junior or a senior, and you know, depending on their birthday and whatnot, they could be older guys, and you kind of expect them, whatever they are right there, that you expect them to pretty much roll over into pro ball and be pretty similar to what they were in college when you have a high school kid like Hendrick there's there's so much upside there's so much of a ceiling that you just let him go out there and play and yes he's younger and maybe he'll have some bumps in the road we're not expecting anybody to ever be perfect let alone a high school kid but it, it gives him more time to develop it gives him more time to learn or adjust however player development wants him to do some things it's there are some risks, yes, but when you got a guy like Hendrick or um, you know, some of those higher first-round picks and high school kids, you have a lot of confidence in them, and you just let them go out there and do their thing, and there's going to be learning lessons. But at the end of the day, you, know, you can't be, for us at least, myself with the Reds, you can't be more excited than how we feel right now to have you know Hendrick with our first pick. Now, I know that the NFL draft is probably one of the more visible drafts that are out there, and those that follow it know that the picks a team makes in the later rounds are as important, if not sometimes more important, than even your first-round pick. Now, how difficult is it to not get so wrapped up in one or a couple of prospects but have a good selection of talent to choose from to make for a really complete, fulfilling draft? I think that that goes all the credit for that goes to to Brad, uh, our you know our scouting director and our assistant scouting directors, our national guys to area scouts. Um, there's so much of a team, you know, effort that goes into every draft that yes, the, obviously the first pick is very very important, but every pick after that, you know, once that once our pick is over, you know, you're excited to get. If whatever that pick is but then you start your you start getting prepared for that next one um and like you said there are there are as you go i mean every pick means something special because every one of those guys could be the person that makes it up to help the big league team so you know for us it's 
you look, we've got, everybody has the reports of the number of guys that they've seen and the amount of prep work that goes into before the draft. It's every one of those picks, whether it's the first one or the last one is something that's, you know, special and important to us as an organization. And, and you, you don't ever take, you know, you don't ever take a pick off. You have no idea, you know, who could end up, uh, you know, somebody could end up getting, extremely hot at one point and can make their way up there and whether you expect it to happen or not. So you, you, you get after it. And obviously you hope by the end of the, uh, by the end of the draft that you're the team that had the best draft out of the year. And then once the draft's over, you get back to it the next year. No rest for the wicked, right? Absolutely not. All right. We're talking with Tyler Gibbons, class of 2017 area scout of the Cincinnati Reds. And just as a little bit of a disclaimer, this is just the halfway point, ladies and gentlemen. So if you are really digging this, get entrenched because we got a little bit more to go. But if you got to hit the pause button, go ahead and take a break. We're at the halfway point here. So uh, to add to how special this must be for you, Tyler, your father, Mike, is, as you mentioned, a scout and for the Yankees. So at least it's not in the same division because that would be weird if it was. But what was his influence on you in pursuing this and supporting you through making this move? He, uh... I mean, he really, uh, he, uh, he's been the role model. He's done everything that and more than you'd ever ask from him. But really, he's just let me do my own thing and have my own experiences through my own decisions. He uh, he was supportive of whatever route I wanted to go. And um, he's always there if there's questions to be answered or just somebody to talk to. But, I mean, really, it's it's just all support and giving me the ability to, you know, choose the route I want to go and it ended up being this route. And um, I mean, he's been nothing but supportive, but I mean, no, at no point, you know, has he ever said anything about which direction I need to do or not to do. And it's um, I, I'm just in a very lucky spot to have both my mom and my dad as supportive as they are to, you know, help me get to where I am right now. I have to imagine that uh, he isn't sharing scouting reports with you, right? But, you know, is there any advice that he gave to you in becoming a successful a successful scout in general? Oh, uh, yeah, we don't share any of that. We're too competitive. <laughs> uh, like you said, the Yankees have been good for a very long time. And as a Reds fan and then a, working for the Reds, I I'm, would be more than happy to watch that plummet when the reds start taking over that that's the uh, that's the goal i would say the number one thing he has taught me is organization there's so many games that go on at so many universities every i mean every weekend friday saturday sunday and a normal non-covid year um, there's always weekend series and you can only see so many games so many days and You've got priority, some of the higher known or more priority players that you need to see, and they may not even be, they might not be close to each other. So you've got to figure out scheduling wise, you know, what games make sense to be able to go to. And then if you have to go to one game, can you make it to another? It's, it's a lot of organ organizing your schedule, organizing the plan, the universities, who's playing who. Uh, weather. I mean, there's so much that goes into every decision and he, he, he helped with that allowing, you know, share, sharing, you know, Hey, this is the route, you know, this is a way to look at things. And there definitely 
ways that I didn't necessarily think of before he shared that with me. And now, I mean, it's only been year one for me, but now it's not necessarily like, oh, pick a game and oh, I'm just going to go to it. You start looking into a whole lot of other things that go into it as well. So it's, uh, you know, not necessarily, we're not sharing player information or anything like that, but just the different tips and tricks to just do the job as efficiently as possible because time management's a big deal with scouting. Now, it's not totally uncommon for someone to follow their parents or their parents in a certain professional pursuit, but being that this one is baseball, which in my opinion just has this special ability to bond father and son, how much more special is this to end up making that decision to follow your father in what he is doing in his professional career? I, I, I do think I, I think it's special. I, I For me, I love the fact that I, I get to spend more time with him now than I ever have just because of how much traveling is going on um, that goes with the job. So I get to spend way more time with him, which is, uh, which is, which is great. It's actually kind of funny this year. We have the same area. He has a little extra of Tennessee actually. So he's got a little bit more of an area than I do, but this whole 2020 year, I didn't see him once until the last game of the year where everything got shut down. So it's funny. We've got a lot of the same, universities a lot of the same players but there's just different ways to attack it that um you don't know all, you're not necessarily doing the same schedule as everybody else so it was actually kind of funny the last game of the year was the only game of the year that we were there at the same time at the same place uh so those are always fun because i don't know his schedule there's some times where you roll up and all of a sudden there he is behind the plate and you're like i guess i'm just gonna hang out with my dad at the game today uh, so it's it, it's very cool it's it's special um I would say one of the one of the bigger perks besides being able to talk about a lot of the things that's going on in his life that it professionally because those are the same things going on in my life, but more of the fact that you know you're spending more time with your dad and um, it just a part of the job is traveling, so it's 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 pretty cool to be able to do that on the road with him. Now, what's the banter like at either family functions or when you guys share a meal at the dinner table? I mean, you can't talk prospects because that'd be info sharing. But what is some of that banter like? Uh, it's it's actually funny. There are some there are some baseball families that it's baseball 24 seven, 365 baseball's life. And we are pretty much once that game is over, we've knocked out our work at, there's very little baseball talked about, which is which is nice. It's a good mental break. Uh, we're big football fans, um, whether it's you know the Bengals or college football. Um, it's it's really, I mean, when we're out to when we're out to eat or we're at home or whatever it may be, there's not a whole lot of baseball talk actually going on. Uh, we we think about or we talk enough baseball uh, to to probably bore a lot of people. So when we don't have to talk about baseball, we usually don't, which it's a good mental break. Now, if you do see him behind the backstop or in your travels, who has the better poker face when you're trying to hide info on a hot prospect? Uh, you uh, Usually if we're at the same game, uh, if it's not a big, if it's not a big time university, um, if it's a smaller, if it's a smaller thing and we're only there to see one person, then you, everybody kind of has an idea of who we're looking at. 
Um, but you know, I think both of us have a, have figured out our own ways to, you know, maybe hide, hide convert or hide a person that you, you may like more than others, or, you know, maybe you bring it up in a different way. So if you do talk about them, maybe they don't, maybe the other person doesn't realize how much you like them compared to the other one. Um, but it, it, it's, it's kind of funny. You definitely have opinions of different guys and the opinions are different. So you just kind of, you know, we make your general comments and whatnot, but when it comes to specifics, you just kind of keep your mouth closed and it's, it makes for when the draft comes, it makes it very interesting to see who thinks what about different players. <laughs> I got to imagine when the draft comes and you see that name pop up, and one of the two of you are looking at the other and be like, ah, I see it now. I see it. Oh, absolutely. It's when you're sitting back there and I mean, every pick, we don't really know what's coming in until, you know, it's announced on TV. You just kind of sit back. And when something happens, you're kind of looking down like, you know, I was either agree with that or maybe I thought of it something a little differently, but especially when it came to the Yankees picks or the Reds picks, you just kind of sat back like what's going to happen here. Well, we'll have to check back in in a couple of years once you get a few more years under your belt and uh, see who sniped who first on a draft pick and what the reaction was on that. Cause that'll be an interesting conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. You just hope that those guys, you know, turn out the way that you think they will and, you know, if scouting was that easy, you could do it for forever. So let's just, let's just hope it works out that way. Now, you said that uh, you are from the Cincinnati area. You grew up in Liberty Township, Ohio. You were a Reds fan growing up. So favorite Reds player current and of all time? Uh, currently, I would probably say Luis Castillo. Uh, every uh, I, I help out with Reds Fest, uh, the big – community with the players down in Cincinnati if you know if you don't know that or if you've never been it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun a lot of the players are there to sign autographs and whatnot and spend time with fans and the last three years I've, I've had Luis Castillo as my as my player that I walk around with he's as he's the nicest person always a good personality and he's obviously very very good at pitching so um, it's just the guy you root for and He's just, it's, you know, you have a, when those guys get paid the way they do, they can act however they want. And every time I saw Luis, he gave me a big hug. He's as nice as it gets. And he's a younger guy. So, you know, you just hope for nothing but success with him. Uh, I played with Nick Senzel for a little bit. So I, I, when I was younger, so I, I root for Senzel just for that sake. And then I guess growing up, I mean, I, there's so many Reds, you know, everybody loves Griffey and Larkin. Adam Dunn was always, exciting when he stood up there because there was a chance he could hit it like 500 feet um he was great sean casey um you know those reds teams when they started getting on a roll i mean every day you could see somebody new cozart had good years and um brandon phillips had good years so uh, there's there's a lot of those guys that you're watching i feel like if, if there was a bad stretch you could hop on with somebody else so it was it was great i Growing up, watched a lot of uh, a lot of Reds games. Talking with Tyler Gibbons, class of 2017 at Capital University, and the current area scout for the Cincinnati Reds of Major League Baseball. So, Tyler, now you know the MLB draft is over. Um, some leagues are not going on in uh, the United States because of COVID, and we're waiting to see what happens with um, college athletics and high school athletics in general too. 
what are you doing right now? It, it feels like this might be a, a downtime for you, but I, I just can't imagine that you're actually, you know, just sitting back and waiting for things to happen. Oh, no. There's the, the only time that ever happens really in scouting, and at least in my our areas when, you know, snow is it's probably – November, December, January, and then the season starts the second week of February. And I mean, it can be snowing there too, but you're, it's still working. But right now there's, there's some new college leagues that have started up. There's some high school events. Um, Really. I mean, you're trying to do anything you can do to see as many players as you can. Cause like you said, with, with COVID and all this, all the outbreaks and whatnot, you have no idea when things are going to get shut down. So we're just trying our best to see who we can, when we can. And, you know, hopefully we've seen as, you know, enough or as many as you can. Uh, so if it does get shut down, you feel like you're in a halfway good position for when spring comes along. Because if it gets shut down in the summer, I don't see, you know, how they're going to be able to allow then those guys to come back and play in the fall. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I'm hoping that this lasts with guys being able to play as long as possible, but you know, I know, I know COVID's obviously a very, um, you know, big deal and whatever's safest for everybody's the ultimately the best move. It's just, we're, we're just going at it as, as, as best as we can. And hopefully, you know, that it lasts and we can see whoever we need, but I know it's, you know, it's impossible to get everybody, but do the best you can really. Now, Tyler, you are a four-year player and three-year starter for Cat Baseball. Share with us a memory that stands out from your playing career, if you would. I loved, I think my favorite part of Capital Baseball, I love the Florida trips. Um, it's you're, you're, you're living in the apartment or the condo with everybody. Um, definitely a different, a different feel from being on campus. Um, the bus ride, as long as it was, and it, it was you got to spend all the time with your best friends and a lot of funny memories and you go down and play in Florida which was always fun and it was a, it was a cool experience because you didn't have the day in and day out of class it was just a strictly focused on baseball which is it's just similar the other one would have been at the end of the year when baseball kept going um, when classes were over I just you're hanging out every day. It was go to practice and come back and, you know, spend time with your friends. So those were, those were my favorite memories. They were very, very much laid back, but I a lot of, a lot of laughter and a lot of fun. Now, if, is there something that is uh, special to you just generally about capital, even beyond the ball field? Uh, I would say the relationships that I've made, I, uh, the teammates, uh, other, you know, students from, from classes that may not have played baseball, but I'm, you know, you're still friends with, uh, capitals, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those people you go in and you have no idea who they are. And then they leave, you, you leave after four years and you, you feel like a piece of you's missing when you don't get to see someone, you know, every day, or you don't get, to, um, you, you don't get those day in and day out communications. So, I would say for me, the most special part of capital is just, you know, the friendships you make. And uh, especially when you go in there freshman year, maybe, you know, a few people, but you don't really know anybody. And then you leave and you have, you know, however many friends. And I think it makes it that much more special being a cap. I mean, you've only been out of school for three years, but you've done a heck of a lot in that time. And you're already 
you know, performing in your, in what you would call your dream job. So I feel like that you're equipped to be able to answer this question, but if you were to give a piece of advice to a young person right now, what would that be? Um, my piece of advice, Oh, that makes me seem like I'm wise of some kind. Um, I would say for me specifically, and this is just, you know, maybe it's not necessarily the deepest of all takes, but if you have a job that allows you to travel, take that job or take that ability to travel. Uh, my first two years, I covered the whole country doing video. I went from, I mean, I, my first two years, I think I averaged 200 nights in a hotel a year. Um, I think the most I ever got was like 210 for number of nights in, uh, in a hotel, which was, which was wild to think back at, but I covered everywhere from, uh, here in Ohio to California, I've gone from, uh, Portland, Oregon to Puerto Rico covering, uh, different events and doing different video stuff for the Reds. And you get to see the whole country. You get to see for at least baseball, you get to see all these different stadiums, but you get to travel, you get to see all these different cities and to me it's it's very cool to be able to to you know think back and realize that especially when you're younger to go out and to be able to see you know all over the country and if you got the chance I didn't travel internationally over you know to Europe or anything like that but if that's something that you're interested in I I would say do it it's something that you're going to remember forever Tyler, I feel like that you and I can talk baseball and capital for hours. And unfortunately, at least on this program, we don't have that kind of time. But I do want to thank you for your time and talking to us about this incredible opportunity and all that you're doing. And of course, we wish you the best of luck. And all Reds fans, especially my son, are probably out there telling you to go do it and do it hard because we need someone protecting Joey Votto in the lineup and to get the Reds back on track. But, uh, but you know, seriously, thank you and best of luck to you and everything. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, that is Tyler Gibbons, class of 2017 and professional area scout for the Cincinnati Reds. To read the original story on Tyler, written by our friend Dave Jablonski of the Dayton Daily News, go to the Capital Baseball website through athletics.capital.edu. So now it is time to keep moving forward as we prepare to hear from Student Athlete Advisory Committee President and Capital Women's Soccer Senior Kelly Bachman. Stay tuned. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Forward Capital Crusaders podcast. Special thanks to Dixie Jeffers, Tyler Gibbons of the class of 2017, and Coach Hannah Weiss for joining us on today's show. If you would like to listen to any of our past episodes, hit up our website, athletics.capital.edu, or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or Google Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating if you like the show. Our next episode will be on Tuesday, July 28th, when we talk to Coach Alan Yost of Men's Soccer, President of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, Kelly Bachman, and check in with another Capital alumnus. Please follow us on social media, too. We're on Instagram and Twitter as at Cap Crusaders, and on Facebook if you search Capital University Athletics. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Cap fam, let's keep moving forward. I'm Sports Information Director Ryan Gasser. Wear your mask, wash your hands, and keep your distance. Stay safe, everyone.